is watching Christ. And what's going to sustain people is the relationship with the Lord. If the relationship with the Lord is shallow, it, it becomes evident. It really does. And we are called, you know, the call of the Lord was to go forth in the earth making disciples of all nations. And and He never put any claws on it that said go forth in the earth when the times are good. When, when the apostles were going forth in the earth and, and the miracles, signs, and wonders were going on through the book of Acts, if you understand the history of what they're going in, what they were living in from a historical standpoint, they were probably living in a situation where everybody around them was telling them to hold up. You know, the Romans are going to come in and kill you. Everything around them was probably... Uh, chaos. You know, a lot of times we don't think about it, but Rome had authority over Jerusalem and the relationship in Rome and, and Jerusalem was going kaput. It was going down the tubes and, and, and at some point the Christians were being fed to lions and everything else. And it didn't stop them from going forth in the earth. So we read, we read kind of the highlights of what was happening with Peter and people bringing the sick to Peter the sick, the lame, and and so forth, and and the the shadow of the Lord, or the shadow of Peter, which was the shadow of the Lord coming over the over them and healing them. We don't think from a historical perspective of what they what they were actually faced with. We really don't. They were probably faced with much more than what we're faced with right now, and. And yet, the call of the Lord was to go forth making disciples. It never changed. And, and so, in the midst of that, what was coming out of them was the power, the might, the dominion of the Lord Jesus Christ. That was what was being manifest. Uh, I read part of the story of a man named John G. Lake. And John G. Lake, I think, uh, I think he died in the 30s, maybe in the 50s, I forget. But if you go read his story... He was filled with the gifts of healing, filled with the anointing of the Lord. And in the story, they, they, they say he took a germ, like we're experiencing today, in his hand, and God killed it. So there's, there's a, you know, I, I don't want to give anybody a false impression because you have also the story in the Bible, the sons of Sceva or Siva, Skiba, whatever you pronounce your name. And they decided they're going to do what Paul's doing, maybe what Peter's doing, what they've seen the disciples doing, and they rise up and say, we're going to, we're going to uh, take care of these devils. And they go in and declare in the name of Jesus Christ that, that Paul's preaching. You know, be gone. And because they had no relationship, those devils in that story... Attack them and overcome them. So, so as I as I present what I'm presenting, I want to present it on both sides. If you're walking in the power and might of the Lord, and you know in your heart where you're at, I know you're in Christ. So I don't have to question 
where you are in Christ, but you in your heart, we in our hearts, know where we are in our relationship in Christ. And so as the Lord works in us and leads us, we go. And we stand. And and in this time that we're in, the time we're in, I, I want us to be in the time of Christ, regardless of the time out in the earth. But the, the things in the earth that we're in, our mission in the Lord hasn't changed. He hasn't stopped compelling people to be saved. He hasn't stopped compelling people to come to the understanding of the Son of God. He hasn't stopped. Brother Bob quoted a little bit of the Scripture, and I was going to read it before I get into my lesson. I won't try to be too long this morning. But this is a common Scripture today. It is Second Corinthians, or not Second Chronicles 7. A lot of people are putting this on Facebook. A lot of people are, are quoting it. And in verse 11, Second Chronicles 7, verse 11, it says, Thus Solomon finished the house of Jehovah and the king's house and all that came into Solomon's heart to make in the house of Jehovah. And in his own house, he prosperly effected. And Jehovah appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and have chosen this place to myself for a house of sacrifice. If I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people... If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will heal their land. Now my eyes shall be open and my ears attend unto the prayer that is made in this place. For now have I chosen and hallowed this house that my name may be there forever and mine eyes and my heart shall be there perpetually. And as for thee, if thou walk before me as David thy father walked, and do according to all that I commanded thee, and wilt keep my statutes and my ordinances, then I will establish the throne of thy kingdom according as I covenanted with David thy father, saying, There shall not fail thee a man to be ruler in Israel. Well, people quote this today. My people that are called by my name, this was the covenant, this was literally dealing with the covenant of Israel and Jehovah. Because if you weren't an Israelite, you weren't His people. And Solomon was the king then. And Solomon, if you follow me, I'm going to establish your throne. And there shall not fail to be a man to be ruler in Israel. All right. So when we look at this, we're not in this covenant anymore. See, a lot of people go back to this and they believe they're still under this covenant of the law and they haven't come to the covenant of Christ. So they read this Scripture like it's, it's in force. And what I heard as Bob read it, if you seek His face, we'll read, flip over Second Corinthians 4 and we'll show you where His face appears at. Second Corinthians 4 says, 
or four one, Second Corinthians four one. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we obtain mercy, we faint not. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, committing ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to them to perish, in whom the God of this world had blinded the minds of the unbelieving, that the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should dawn upon us. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your servants say. Seeing is God that said, Light shall shine out of darkness, who shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, where's that light shining at in this covenant? And he goes on to say, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. So the treasure of the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ is shining in our hearts. So, so my people who are called by my name, and if you understand this in the truth that's in Christ, you have been called by His name. You are named in Him. So you've been named as one with Him through His name. And if you're called by His name, He said... Seek my face. Well, where's his face at in the new covenant? It's in you. See, the face of a man, what's the face of a man? His identity. How do you know a man but by his face? It's like, Bob, I can, I can see the other day, actually, I was, may have been one night I was meeting my boss for dinner. I can't remember not, or not if it was I was meeting somewhere or not, but I saw a man from behind that looked like my boss. My boss got all white hair. But it wasn't him. Because his face wasn't the same. Right? Because your face is your identity. And so when you come to the face of the Lord, you're coming to His identity. And His identity is made known how? Through the Word of God. So we, know, we see His face by seeing, by understanding the Word of God. That's seeing the face of the Lord. Because He is, John says He is the Word of God. John writes that in the book of John and in the book of Revelation. And he talks about handling the Word of life in the epistles of John. So the Word of God is the face of Jesus Christ. So to see His face is to understand and comprehend the Word of God. That's the identity of Christ. That's how you know Christ is through His Word. That's what He... You know, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do thy will, O God. The volume of the book is written of Him. And when He appears, He's appearing through His Word. His Word is being made known by the Spirit of God. Not just on the letter of the page, but what the letter of the page is saying is revealed in your heart by the Spirit of God, and that's how you see and know Him. That's what a lot of the people in the earth, they don't know Him because He hasn't appeared to them. And if He doesn't appear to you, the only reason He won't appear to you, honestly, is you won't let Him. Nothing's holding God back from 
appearing but us. That's a hard pill to swallow. But the, but the truth of that, and, it, and this gets me to my lesson. It's like, how do I get over to where I'm going? Right? Sometimes I don't know. Seems like the Lord will bring a way to transition. Well, we've been in Revelation 1. Out of His mouth proceeds a sharp two-edged sword. And I'll, I'll quote that because we're still dealing with the two-edged sword coming out of His mouth. And just to catch your minds back there for a moment, the two-edged sword is coming out of his mouth, and where is he seen that has the two-edged sword in his mouth at? Where did John see him at? John saw him in the seven candlesticks. So he saw him in the seven churches of Asia. So he saw the man with a two-edged sword coming out of his mouth, and no, he wasn't a sword swallower. He saw him in the candlesticks. So he saw him in the church. So the word is coming out of his mouth inside of the church. And we have to get a hold of this. This is in the church. So it comes out in the church and then it goes out in the earth through the church. So what he's saying in you goes through you. Amen. They're like Brother Lynn this morning. Can I get an amen? amen. <laughs> what he says in you goes through you. Now I want to bring your attention to Hebrews 4. Verse 12. I'm going to read verse 12 without reading verse 11. I want to see if anybody's ever asked the question I asked here. For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit above joints of marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Now, I put down below as a question how does verse 12 go with the rest of chapter 4? Because if you read all of chapter 4, and then you come to verse 12, if you're like me, I looked at it and I went, huh. This doesn't even seem to make sense of what chapter 4 is talking about. And then all at once, this is thrown in there. So I started pondering that. Do you ever ponder? Like, what? God's talking about a group of people that won't enter into rest. Chapter 3 and chapter 4 is dealing with entering into His rest. And thrown in... You, you know, even verse 11 says, Therefore let us be diligent to enter into that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience, which was dealing with the, with the Jews who were disobedient in the times of Moses and wouldn't enter into the rest of God, which was, which was in the promised land. They, they refused to enter in when the spies had went through the land. They were afraid to go into it. Right? We all know that story, or we should know that story. So they were afraid to enter into His rest because of what they saw in the land, even though God had given them the land. He had given them the victory. He had already given them rest from their enemies. If they just walked in there and took it, but they were afraid to enter in there. And here, in verse 12, He just throws in, the Word of God is living and active, or quick, 
according to translation, and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. And it's like, how does this even fit the rest of chapter 4? You have to go read, read all chapter 4 to see it. But chapter 4 is talking about a day of rest, and that those that have ceased from their labors enter into His rest. And all at once, I'm sitting in my chair last night, and I wrote down the picture of Joshua. Because, because Joshua is who led the children of Israel into rest, right? Into the promised land. So Joshua 1, Joshua chapter 1, I've got verses 10 through 17. I don't know if I'll read all of them, but flip to Joshua 1. says, Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, verse 10, Pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, saying, Prepare your victuals, or food. I believe that's what that means. For within three days you, shall, you are to pass over this Jordan to go in and possess the land which Jehovah your God giveth you to possess it. And the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh spake Joshua, saying, Remember the word which Moses, the servant of Jehovah, commanded you, saying, Jehovah your God giveth you rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your cattle shall abide in the land which Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But ye shall pass over before your brethren armed all the mighty men of valor and shall help them. Until Jehovah hath given your brethren rest as he hath given you, and they have possessed the land which Jehovah your God giveth them, then you shall return into the land of your possession and possess it which Moses the servant of Jehovah gave you behind the Jordan toward the sun rising. And then they answered Joshua, all that the Lord has said we'll do. Same thing they answered Moses, right? And they didn't... They didn't do it. But they said they would. Anyway, so here, here Joshua is preparing them to enter into the land of Canaan and possess the land that God had given them. And that land was called a land of rest. Okay? So, then they enter in a very specific way in chapter 3. And I won't turn to all this in chapter 3, but you can go back to it. In verse... Three, I've got two through four, but verse three says, And they commanded the people, saying, When you shall see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God with the Levitical priest carrying it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. So they set out, if you go read that chapter, the ark of the covenant of the Lord went down into the Jordan. When the ark of the covenant of the Lord went down into the Jordan, does anybody remember what happens? The water separated, stood up. And the children of Israel passed over into the land of promise in view of the ark. They couldn't pass over unless they were in view of the ark. They had to see the priest come down. And when they saw the priest come down, they saw their ark. Now what does the ark of the covenant of Jehovah represent? Who became the ark of the covenant of the Lord? When, when the temple was rebuilt, what was missing from the temple? The ark. Can't find anyway. I can't find where the ark was in the rebuilt temple. The ark was what 
carried the presence of the Lord. That's where the Lord would appear over the mercy seat that was up on the ark. And there he, he said he would meet with the children of Israel. He told Moses he would meet with them from above the mercy seat up on the ark. And the ark was what held the words of God, and that's what the priest carried. Imagine, the priest carried the words of God. And they kept in type and shadow, they were carrying the appearing, the presence of the Lord. The appearing of the Lord. So if we see it in type and shadow, the priesthood is carrying the Word of God and the presence of God and the appearing of God. And so when you see the ark, the Word of God, the presence of God, and the appearing of God, pass over. And you're coming out of death which they already came out of Egypt, signifying death, but they're coming into life, into the bounty of Christ, into the bounty of the Lord. They're moving into the Lord. Now what happens to them when they can't first come into the land? I thought this happened on the other side of the Jordan, but I was corrected. Okay? Joshua 5. Now I'm going to read this. Turn to Joshua 5 and 2. Joshua 5 and 2. It says, At that time Jehovah said unto Joshua, Make thee knives of flint, and circumcise again the children of Israel the second time. Joshua made him knives of flint and circumcised the children of Israel at the hill of the foreskins. And this is the cause why Joshua did circumcise all the people that came forth out of Egypt that were males, even all the men of war, died in the wilderness, by the way, and they came forth out of Egypt. For all the people that came out were circumcised, but all the people that were born in the wilderness by the way as they came forth out of Egypt, they had not been circumcised. So those born in the wilderness had not faced the knife. What's coming out of the mouth of the man of the Son of Man? The knife, the sword. Two-edged sword, circumcising, cutting away, dividing soul and spirit. So here, here, when they come into the land, they had to be circumcised to divide. It was speaking of the division of Soul and spirit. And that's what the knife of the Lord does, is He circumcises their heart to circumcise the soul and the spirit. Glory to God. So this is what this is speaking of, and, and, and it's something that the man with the sword in his hand appears to Joshua here. You think that's coincidental? So they, so, so they were at a place called Gilgal. They, they camped there till they were healed. And, it came, and verse 13 says, And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua goes unto him and says, Art thou for us or for the adversaries? And he said, Nay. But as a prince of the host of Jehovah, am I now come? 
And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the prince of Jehovah's host said unto Joshua, Put off thy shoe, for off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. So, all this signified was a new walk. You know, in one place here in Joshua, it, I believe it was Joshua said, you have never been this way before. You've never come here before. And because you've never come here before, your heart has to be circumcised. Now there, they weren't circumcised in the heart. But all that type and shadow, the cutting off of the skins, was signifying the heart. The most deep place. And, and, and because of what they did, this is just coming to me as I'm speaking to you, intimacy. The most intimate place was where the cutting occurred. So God cuts away the foreskin of the heart, the flesh, the soulless realm. And I've tried to, I've heard people teach on this for years, uh, you know, or say things. I don't know if I've said through full, full teaching, but I've heard people talk to me about the dividing of the soul and spirit. And inside it just never, I never could go, okay. But I'm sitting before the Lord and this just come before me. Look at Joshua. Because the division of soul and spirit, if you, if you flip into 1 Corinthians 15, what does he say in his word? 1 Corinthians 15 says, The first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-given spirit. That's verse 45, but actually flip back to verse 35. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 35 says, But someone will say, How are the dead raised, and with what manner of body do they come? Thou foolish one, that which thou thou thyself sowest is not quickened, except it die. We sow souls. And that soul's not quickened unless it dies. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not the body that shall be but a bare grain. It may chance of wheat or some other kind. But God giveth it a body even as it pleased Him, and to each seed a body of His own. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, and another flesh of birds, and another fishes. There are celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial, but the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars. For one star differs from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonors, raised in glory, sown in weaknesses, raised in power. It is sown a natural body, 
It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body. There also is a spiritual body. So, because there is a natural body and because there is a spiritual body, watch this real close. So, it is written, the first man became a living soul. There's the natural. The last Adam became a life-giving, a quickening spirit, howbeit that is not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, then afterwards that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth earthy, the second man is of heaven, or the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy, and as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we born the image of the earthy, we shall bear the image of the heavenly. So, so the, the division that comes in the heart is between the soul and the spirit. The first man was a living soul. That which thou sowest is not quickened unless it dies in his death. Not physically, but unless it comes to his death, and dies. Because it's quickened in his life. He said, I am the resurrection. So is the resurrection of the dead. Who was sown in corruption and raised in incorruption but the Lord Jesus Himself? Amen. See, He was sown in the earth, but raised by the Spirit. Amen. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, the soulless, we bear... The image of the heavenly, and that's what that sharp two-edged sword does. It cuts out of our heart the earthy. And it brings forth the heavenly. That's what it does. That's what the Word of God is continually doing in our heart, is it's cutting away the old, and it's bringing forth the new. And it's a matter of the heart. That's why the heart has to be given to the Lord. Because if the heart's not given to the Lord, then the work isn't done. That's the key here. It's an issue of our hearts. That's why in the beginning of salvation... When we walk with God, the first thing we have to do is receive the Lord Jesus into our hearts. Amen. Have to. Because there's no other way we can be saved because salvation is a whole bigger picture than one day we die and going to heaven. The picture is we've moved from the earthly to the heavenly. That's the picture. We bore an image of the earthly and we're burying as we know Him the image of the heavenly. Because we're bearing His image. He's the heavenly one that we begin to bear as we know Him. Amen. And that's what this, this sword is doing is piercing our hearts to cut off and see, they, they, they had entered into the land when, the, when they were circumcised the second time. So they had crossed over in view 
of the ark. But their heart had to be circumcised of the flesh. Type and shut. And that's why we have to face the sword. Because if we don't face the sword, even though Christ is in us, we'll walk in a carnal mind. We'll walk in a natural understanding even though we've received Christ because the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, is what takes away and what establishes the truth. And it's the only thing that can. That's why crisis and that's up on the earth now, people are looking for the answer. The answer is still Jesus. The answer is still to know Him. It's always been to know Him whether there's a crisis or there's not a crisis. The answer is knowing Him and knowing Him is intimate relationship with Him. And like I said, that's why the most intimate part, I believe, was used without becoming graphic. That was the most intimate in the natural part of man that was dealt with because it's dealing with your heart, your most your, the part of man that I can't see unless God allows me to look in your heart. I can't know your heart. But He does. The Word of God knows the desires and the intents of your heart. And my heart. And He knows the intimate times of you and I with Him. Whether we have any or we don't. He knows that. And, that, and that's what He wants to bring us into is that intimate knowing that the old man has been crucified. The old man has been cut off. The old man has been removed. And our life is in Christ. See, that's circumcision of the heart. That's what circumcision is, is, is knowing that old man is removed. And our life is Christ. You see, a lot of Christians don't know the old man's removed. What do they need? Now, Paul says they've already been, been circumcised, but they need to maybe be circumcised a second time or to know the circumcision. However that works, we're circumcised. And the circumcision of the heart is the knowing of it. Right? Because if I don't know that, why don't I know it? Because the flesh understanding is on my heart. That's why, that's why when you come to a deep word, you can't just stay out here in the, you, you know, out here kind of on the sidelines. That's why people run from the deep word. We've had a lot of people come in here and run. I don't know if you realize that through the years. We've had people come here and testify, this is a great word. And then they leave. Because the sword, when the sword starts working in us, 
You can run to the sword or run away from the sword. But when you see the glory that the sword is offering, you'll run to it. That's what's a matter of the heart. The heart, the most central piece of you, for the mind, the will, the seat of emotions, the soul, the spirit, the man, is that. The heart of him, his intents. My intents. And when God can deal with my intents, man, he's really dealing with me then. When I let him deal with my intents. I'd like to tell y'all, that happened to me a long time ago. I've been in this Word, I've been seeing the Ark of the Covenant for years. But the cross in the last probably two years, if I I measured it in time, which I can't measure in time, I can only measure it in Christ. But I can put it in play in, in time I'm walking around the earth. The cross and the work of the cross in my heart that I've experienced has been more real in me in the last couple years probably than any time I've ever walked with the Lord. And I saw this glorious thing happening, and and you can go through the rest of my notes on this, and I'm just going to share my heart. I saw this glorious thing happening in my heart where I was saying, yes, Lord, cut it off. Yes, Lord, bring me to your death, that I may be made conformable to your death, if by any means, like Paul writes, I might be made, that I might attain unto your life. That this working of the cross has been so significant in my life that I've wanted to take it to people and see people where the Lord has at times allowed me to see people's heart. I ain't saying I see everything in their heart, but just allow me to see that they're searching God, that they're desiring God, or this, that, and the other. And I wanted to just grab them and say, Honey, here's the only answer there is. It's what Paul writes that we shall know Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And God's not going to give you another answer. There's not a magic pill you swallow. There's not a magic prayer you pray. See, this is what fast food religion did because because you, you look at me and Brother Dave and Brother Dave and me both probably like some fast food every now and then even though we may not tell people. I could eat some Chick-fil-A and chick sauce. Love it. But this is what we want. We want a magic fast food or fast prayer. When we come to the Lord, we want to say this prayer just right and we want to get up off that our knees and head out our door and man, it's perfect. Has anybody besides me ever done that? And then we walk out and it ain't perfect. It's perfect in Christ, but the situation is still a mess. Anybody ever done that? And they're like, well, God, you said... Well, Jesus said a lot of things. He said, come unto me, all you labor and heavy laden. Take my yoke upon you and learn. 
of me. So the secret to finding the rest of God is to learn Him. If I don't learn Him, and that's through an intimate relationship with Him that nobody else can give you. I can't give you an intimate relationship with Him. I can share what God's sharing in my heart, but I can't give you an intimate relationship with God. You have to have an intimate relationship with Him. So while we're a body, while we're unified by Him, and in one spirit, and we operate as one body, as hearts, we have to have intimate relationships in the Lord. And it should be the highest prize in our home is really how close and intimate with you, Lord Jesus, can I get? That should be the desire. How, how close to you can I possibly be, Lord? Don't let me be superficial. Don't let me be in the sidelines, you know, like a kid. Brother Dave knows this probably because you played sports, didn't you, Brother Dave? Did you hate being on the sidelines? Absolutely. The awfulest thing in the game of football was to stand on the sidelines and not be in the game. Don't be on the sidelines. Get in there. Get in the relationship. Because he said, come unto me all. You know, Larry, there's enough of him to go around. Because He's God. He's, he's the Almighty. He's everywhere. You know what? Have you ever realized that you go to Puerto Rico and, and Jesus is there? Kind of like what David said. If I make my bed in hell, the Holy is there. If I take the wings of an eagle and fly into the sky, so to speak, He's there. If I go to the depths of the sea, He's there. So I can go to Puerto Rico, I can go to Mexico, I can go to China, I can go to Cambodia, I can go to Canada, and I've flown in different places. I've been at 30-some thousand miles in the air, and guess what? Where Jesus was at? He was there, 30,000 feet, not miles. If I was 30-some thousand miles, I'd really be up there. Correct myself. But He was, behold, He was there. So there's nowhere you can go that you can't be intimate with the Lord. That's why when people say, well, they took prayer out of school, I said, how did they take prayer out of school? Right. How in the world, if Christ is in your heart, can they ever take prayer out of school because they can't stop Him that's in your heart? They, can, they may tell you you can't say something out loud, but they can't stop you from doing that. You go over in the corner say, Lord, you're out. And here you are. I've always thought that's crazy. They can't take prayer out of school. If you're in communion with God. If you're just saying words, that ain't prayer anyway. Is it? And Christians get all upset about it. Is that prayer? Just saying, just saying words or just saying God bless you? No. If it's out of communion with Him, if it's out of communion with Him, then it could, prayer is communion with the Lord. Amen. 
Glory to God. And we're in communion with God. We're, we're suffering with Him. We're, we're eating His flesh and drinking His blood. Is this alright today? Glory to God. Well, I feel the presence of the Lord so powerful. I'm, I'm winding down. You can go through these other Scriptures. But that's the circumcision. One Scripture I did want to read is there in Colossians. And I'll read that and you can go through the other ones. We may just have to do another one on this uh, lesson. But in Colossians 2.10, my note says 2.0 through 13, but that's supposed to be 10 through 13. It says, And in Him you've been made complete. We all stand up and say, I'm complete. Do you believe that? In Him you've been made complete. So all the way back when God says, what is man? And His thought toward man was to be complete in Christ. That's the answer. And and He's the head over all rule and authority, all principality and power. Who's the head of all rule and authority? Jesus is. Christ is. And in Him you were circumcised. Glory to God. With the circumcision made without hands, in the removal of the body of the flesh, He removed it. Took it out of the way, nailed it to the cross, the body of the flesh that was contrary to us. He come in like manner and took it to the cross and took that beast and slayed the beast. Amen. Glory to God that we could walk in newness of His life. Amen. We have to pick up here. I could go on, but I'm I'm stopping. Say with me, the beast is slain. The 